All right, it is the uh, Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Here we are in May, and the most likely matchup, according to Las Vegas, is between two Canadian teams, Toronto Maple Leafs and Edmonton Oilers. Uh, let's welcome in Ron McLean, the host of Hockey Night in Canada. Thanks for doing this, Ron. Oh, absolutely, Ben. Blake, uh, didn't Wendell just say you can't think about anything other than the next <laughs> game? Can we... <laughs> Can we just enjoy that first-round win for the Maple Leafs and uh, look forward to tomorrow night? He said the players can't. He oh. said that media can't. Yeah, he admitted. Yeah, he's right. He's in that. Wendell, you're in that game. I hate to break it to you now, but uh, a great guy and helped us out at every uh, hometown hockey. We were just talking, Blake, off the air mm. about uh, the possibility of doing the show in uh, Six Nations of the uh, Grand River in Oshwegan, home of Brandon Montour. I play in Oakville, Ben, as you know. Mm-hmm. I play beer league hockey there, and the guy that... Uh, Zamboni's the ice at River Oaks uh, was his D partner in U18 AAA. So what a distinction. Wow. Uh, but Brandon Montour, who played for Dallas Akins, who you had on the show and is going to join us for the second round. Yeah, of are you breaking news? Do people yeah. know that? Inc- I don't think they do. No, we yeah. just found out uh, uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas, Kevin Bieksa and Dallas are close because they both live mm-hmm. down there in Anaheim, Newport Beach is where Kevin lives. So he knows Dallas really well. And Dallas said, well, I'm available if you need a hand. Mm-hmm. And this is so serendipitous because we had John Cooper's second in command, obviously, yeah. and Derek Lalone. Yeah. And now we have Paul Maurice when he coached the Toronto Maple Leafs. Dallas Akins was his 2IC second in command. So oh, we it, get that sort of glimpse into how Paul does everything from Dallas plus a million other connections. And are we going to find out where Sergei Bobrovsky is most vulnerable? That he is also <laughs> vulnerable to the point shots. Ron. Well, it wasn't that funny, uh, and I feel bad for Derek because he but knew. But it was great. It was great oh, insight. Of course, for us, it was brilliant. Yeah. And, and he didn't, re- I mean, all he was saying is this is the one area yeah. that he's susceptible. Who isn't? Of I course. Mean, a, a tip-in is a lucky goal. But as he said, I probably would have coached my words a little differently just because it took on a life of his own. And, and he learned what we've all learned about uh, Twitter and its ability yeah. to take a snippet and turn it into a, a bit of an animal. But, yeah, he was he was tremendous. And But from that moment on, I think, you know, he realized uh, – I got to be really careful, and he did that's a great a job because, uh, yeah, we, that's right. We effectively muscled him from that minute forward inadvertently through the power of the socials. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's let's look back at this six-game series that the Toronto Maple Leafs won against the Tampa Bay Lightning. They finally break through. They, they get over the hump, and and the one thought I've I've had rattling around my head um, since they've done it is why this year? What's so different about this team than in years previous, Ron? Because they looked pretty good last year and couldn't get over the hump. And is it is it too simple to just say it was their time that the, the bounces went the right way for this team? Well, there's no doubt that happened. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that Sheldon Keefe mentioned, these were the games we used to lose. And uh, you saw it with Verhage last night, uh, incredibly. Uh, they got that timely goal, and you've got to have that. Uh, conversely, uh, Colorado scored the tying goal, and it's taken away by video review. Crazy yeah. things happen in the playoffs, and you certainly need a lot of luck in order to go the distance. That and to avert uh, getting injured. Uh, obviously, Chernak being hurt was a major significant moment quietly in that series because Hedman was already banged up. Uh, but they got the breaks, and I, I do believe that uh, Keefe was right uh, when he said Dubas did a great job of uh, arming them for the possibility by bringing in Samsonov. Who knew whether Ilya Samsonov could be what he was? And you said it, Blake, he was fantastic. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly gave them the option to have three great centers, uh, you know, and that I think was a, you know, always the secret of Tampa's success was that third line, and it became a little bit of Toronto's uh, strength as they had uh, three lines that can score the goal and a fourth line that can uh, do the forechecking. So they, they had armed themselves, uh, much like Florida, made the change after winning the President's Trophy. They brought in Matthew Kachuk. So very similar. 
And the three-line balance for the Leafs, I think, will come up again in this series because Florida a little more top-heavy. I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot in in teeing up the series. Um, In terms of what was different this time around, though, I think we we covered a a good amount of it there, but um, a lot of the discussion year over year is, okay, well, Austin Matthews and and Mitch Marner, and then to another extent, you know, Morgan Riley had kind of always brought it in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. um, but that's the group that a lot of eyeballs were on. Austin Matthews scoring five goals in this series, Mitch Marner having 11 points, which you got to go back to think Roberts or Gilmore for the last time a Leaf did that in a playoff series, you, you'd have the that more front of mind than I would. Um, what did you see from those two in terms of answering the call this time versus years past? Well, one of the things, and, and you kind of hinted at this earlier in the broadcast, is uh, that first round is, uh, is a major hurdle, not just because of the Leafs and their history. Uh, they were trying to shake a lot of ghosts uh, or demons with, with their recent history. But for the big player, the expectations are always there, and you know the big player is going to get the special attention. So as an example, when Calgary won the Cup in 89, Doug Gilmore was a flame, and he had a horrible first round. But after that, he was unstoppable. He had a chance to exhale after they got by Vancouver in seven in overtime, double overtime, in fact, on what would probably be a kicked-in goal in the modern era. (laughs) With video review, it may never have stood the goal that Calgary scored, Poplinski. Uh, then he was on on his way. And, and you know, when w- Wayne Gretzky won his first cup in 1984, he had gone through the 83 final, four games, not a goal. First three games of the 84 final against the Islanders, not a goal. Mm-hmm. He was really struggling. Mark Messier won the Conn Smythe Trophy. So somebody can usually be there to give you that support. And that's what happened for uh, Toronto. And I, I I would say Morgan Riley is probably the guy that, that brought a lot of relief to the core four. He, he provided the timely moments uh, and and he's a guy who's experienced a lot of that heartache of course uh, so he was critical but but you're right the big guns uh, in in the end Tavares and Matthew score in the deciding game of the series and that's an immense yeah it was immense and it, it feels immense from this end but that's me like you know putting my what I would feel if I were in that situation I wonder you know Ron you, you've seen some successful Maple Leafs teams of, of years past i mean there were four conference finals in a nine-year span between 93 and 2002 for this toronto maple leafs team uh right. franchise now they are through with this core to the second round for the first time um what happens from a pressure perspective because the idea that the thought process is that they can now just you know that that was the major hurdle that while they might not have looked at their best through six games against the lightning now that that's that's done and behind them that, that we will see the best version of the Toronto Maple Leafs going forward. Do I do think you will. I, yes, I do. I, I, from 89 to 92, so Calgary in 89, Edmonton in 1990, Pittsburgh with Mario Lemieux in 91 and 92, those four all survived a scare in the first round. They went seven and almost lost. Uh, Boston in 2011, we all remember the seven-game win over Vancouver, but in the first round they had to go seven against Montreal and Nathan Horton in overtime mm-hmm. in the seventh game. Just got them that opportunity. So there is... There is that off your back, uh, that f- sense of freedom and relief. Having said that, Wendell was right that it's uh, one game at a time from here on in. You cannot, what, what gets so many teams in trouble, probably happened to Boston in their series with Florida, is you're up three to one and you begin to look ahead. Uh, you can never play with uh, an eye to the future uh, or that really sinks you. Uh, so Toronto will have to be wary of that, but I, I do believe this, this will have uh, given them such a, a break from... Uh, the weight of all that history. So no eye to the future beyond a game for the Leafs. I, I want to take a second to reflect on this Tampa Bay Lightning era as well. Um, two Stanley Cups, and then they make it back to the Cup Finals uh, once more last year and then out in the first round this year. Um, what do you make of, of what the near-term future looks like for them? I, I know 
you know, if we look at the salary cap sheet or whatever, it looks like it's going to be a fairly similar team back. Mm -hmm. Um, But do you get the sense this team, you know, with the earlier exit can maybe do something again next year or or are they entering a transition phase of their own? No, I I think, you know, Hedman's young enough. Uh, I remember Lidstrom won seven Norris trophies, all 31 or older. Uh, Doug Harvey won seven Norris trophies, all 31 or older. Bobby Orr, on the other hand, won eight, and you hadn't hit 28, so that's Bobby Orr. Uh, but Hedman's still young enough that he can be the anchor to their defense. Uh, they really missed McDonough. They missed David Savard. You know, you look back, when they got beaten, they had happened to them what Boston just had happened. Right. Remember in 2019, mm-hmm. the Columbus Blue Jackets swept them in that shocker in the first round after 62 wins? And you look at that 2019 Columbus team, uh, Josh Anderson ended up with Montreal uh, and went to the final. David Savard won the cup with Tampa. Uh, Seattle can really thank Oliver Bjorkstrand for the victory last hmm. night. Alex Wenberg both came over from that 2019 team. Uh, Bobrovsky and Yunus uh, Corposalo, uh, uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, uh, Nick Foligno, all these guys from that team, there's 10 of them, are in the playoffs or were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that was a very formidable Columbus Blue Jacket team in 2019, and then the cap got them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not going to happen to Tampa. So they're kind of established in the signings of their key guys. I mean, Kucherov, Toronto did an amazing job because... He was uh, possessed on a few of those nights. Um, he's a lot to handle. He's still a great player. So I don't think they'll disappear. They have a great coach. But, uh, you know, what happened to the Bruins kind of felt like what we were expecting to happen to them before the season began is that they're a little long at the tooth and it might catch up. Uh, it did. Um, and, and at some point it'll happen to Tampa. But I don't know if it's imminent. Do you feel like it's here for Boston, though, especially with that? Yes. I mean, we, I, I know we're, we're... That was pretty emotional. I think we can kind of conclude that Patrice is done. Um, you know, it just felt that way. And, uh, you know, same with David Krejci and even Charlotte Coyle's not young. So they're, I think, oh, their D is, is young. So they've got that to build on. But now their goaltending will have to pick up from a, a pretty devastating situation. Wasn't it interesting... Uh, Jim Montgomery in his post-game press conference said, you'll have to talk to goalie Bob. He meant Bob Essensa yeah. about the decision to switch to Swayman. And what yeah. I wondered about is, you know, Jim threw the water bottle in game six, bless his heart. Did he did he want to change goalies then? And Essensa said no. Or, you know, there's got to be a story that we'll never know about that. Because uh, Essensa, the goalie, when he played in 90 uh, with the Winnipeg Jets, he played games one, two, three, four. He started and got pulled, started game six. But he didn't get Game 7. They went to Beauregard. Stefan Beauregard was a kid's name who went in, and the Oilers won, and they went on to win the Cup. Crazy. It's such a bizarre situation because Allmark is going to win the Vesna. Yes. Going away, seemingly, right? I I used to do those NHL awards, and uh, I can tell you there were so many times when a player got up there having had the heartbreak of uh, some embarrassment in the postseason, and and there was no joy in receiving an individual award at that point, which is unfair. Allmark and uh, Mm -hmm. Swayman are magic uh, through the year, and that was just... You know, for Toronto, that that if that isn't a wake up call, that get ready for Florida, get ready for. Oh yeah, you're right, Blake. I agree with you that they're probably like Anton Lundell O'Reilly should be a superior matchup on the third line, mm-hmm. but uh, don't assume that uh, because and they're, and their top two, uh, you know, Barkov was supposed to be unhealthy in the first part of the series. He didn't look great, uh, but he's great. And uh, Sam Bennett was off the charts. Uh, that line of Matthew Kachuk and uh, Carter Verhage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bennett Bennett will be on the Toronto defense the way he was on, you know, McAvoy and Lindholm and Orloff. Uh, Boston has a great defense. Uh, they could not handle that forecheck. So Toronto will have to be uh, a great team to, to be aware of that and ready for it. Yeah, and this is, I mean, it was hard not to think about that 2019 Lightning team and watching that, I mean, that Lightning team didn't win a game. Right. Uh, I, 
Hedman, I, I don't think, played the final games of that four-game right. sweep uh, against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But, yeah, that was the, the previous team to set all the, the regular season marks in the NHL, and the Bruins outdo them this year. And it's not like that was their sole purpose during the regular season. They had to, you know, no. had to create some sort of motivating factor because they were so far and away atop the Atlantic division. Well, I, I go back to 2019 and it did feel like the lightning chased that, that record. Yeah, yeah. And it might've cost them, but I, I it, it had me thinking about, you know, how we, how we should view the regular season in, in relation to the postseason. And now it, it's only as much success as the road teams have had only two underdogs have won their postseason series, of course, with one pending Tonight, but yeah, I wonder what you think. And then Blake sent me something yesterday that all the the, the regular season uh, leaders all time in all the major sports, none of them have won a championship, which does make you think you get you get one choice: you either get to be a great regular season team or a great postseason team. Well, you know, again, I go back to the, I think we underestimate how great Columbus was. 2018, Washington fell behind 2-0 and rallied on them. That's right. And it was overtime in Game 3, right? And, and I remember Iserman was down in Tampa dealing as a you know GM of the Lightning with watching that. Mm-hmm. And he said, I knew when they rallied, the Washington Capitals, when they rallied against the Blue Jackets, I knew they were probably going to win the Stanley Cup because Columbus has a hell of a team. Mm. He was right about that. Like we, we, yeah. we, They're one of the most uh, impressive teams that never got uh, any kind of a rave review because... Uh, they got broken up. But uh, as far as, you know, the difference between the regular season and the postseason, I mean, this road thing is just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, that's happening now. We're at 31 wins for the road teams. But, you know, I, most most players will tell you it's kind of easier to play on the road. You know, fewer distractions. You don't have to worry about tickets and all the rest. Uh, so historically, that's been a, a thing that you will hear a player say, as I feel uh, very comfortable playing important games on the road. But I've never seen it quite like this. And we need to reward teams in a different way for being the better team during the regular season. Yeah. If that's true, if you would like prefer to defer your own, and nobody would do that, obviously, no. because there's still no, money this to be story made was great. home. You're too young, you two. But in 1971, <laughs> Montreal uh, beat Bobby Orr and the Bruins. And that was a monumental upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, first round series went seven games. Ken Dryden, that's what made Ken Dryden's name. Uh, and that was the most exciting thing I had ever seen in hockey until the Vegas story happened. Mm-hmm. I found Vegas uh, that whole playoff year quite amazing, 2018. And then the following year, the St. Louis Blues were dead last at New Year's, mm-hmm. and they won the Cup, uh, which was unbelievable. And even if you think about this year's first round, uh, the, the weekend it was to have Oliver Bjorkstrand score the two goals in front of his former coach. Yeah. Jared Bednar was his coach in the American Hockey League when he won the Calder Cup in 2016. So that always is... You know, you get comfortable because you feel good. There's my guy. Uh, and he was great. And Brandon Montour, we've already talked about. And uh, Kyler Yamamoto was the hero for the Oilers in the deciding win for them. And Nice. I mean, all these, like Borshevsky. You just had Wendell on mm-hmm. Borshevsky in 93 in overtime. I was, I went out to the, where I, the Zamboni area where I was to do an interview with whoever got the game-winning goal. And I was fiddling around with my equipment, getting it all, you know, set up. And uh, it's happened. The goal, I didn't even see it. You know, mm-hmm. it was, I was still fussing with equipment. And it, Jim Wilkes was our uh, man on the ice, uh, we call a runner. But, uh, you know, he's a technical director for Hockey Night in Canada, but he was out helping us out. So he went and fetched Borshevsky, and he's bringing Nikolai Borshevsky to me to be interviewed as the hero of the night. And I'm thinking, what the hell is he bringing me Nikolai Borshevsky? <laughs> There's no way he would have scored the goal. I didn't speak English, and oh, man, just a great memory. <laughs> So in going over some of the, the recent President's Trophy stuff, some, some of the, the Columbus teams, and you just managed to mention a lot of recent Stanley Cup champions. Um, none of them are around anymore. The right. la- of 17 all, years. 
of all the teams remaining, you got to go back to 2006 to the Carolina Hurricanes for the last time one of these teams won a championship. So whoever wins the Stanley Cup this year, it's going to be the first time in a long time one of those franchises won it. Um, how exciting is that for you? And what do you make of that? That's just the parody we have in the, the NHL these days? I do think that. You know, I, I used to interview Gary Bettman and really went hard on the idea of the salary cap. I hated it only because I felt it was unfair to the players, and I won't bore you with all that. Uh, but I, I have to confess that the, the cap system system has created this parody that you know we're seeing manifest in this year's playoffs it's it's unbelievable to me that a team like vegas can join the nhl make it to the final in year one yep. and seattle can you know in year two do what they're doing um that 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 is a real testament to how hard it is to build a team that's a juggernaut uh, and that's why you got to have Connor mcdavid or uh, nikita kucherov uh, Steven stamkos in the case of toronto their core four you you need really superior top-end talent to uh to sort of and and you saw what happened to colorado mm-hmm. uh they were missing just enough of it uh they yeah. were missing landis cog obviously they lost cadre because they couldn't afford to sign one more guy mm-hmm. uh and that that that's all it takes you know if your depth uh, around those superstars wanes uh chances are you're watching yeah i, I mean and, and to go back to that game seven and you mentioned it, the the goal that was called back i mean so much of the focus has been on officiating this postseason this is not on yeah. the officials, the the correct call was made in reversing the the goal that would have tied yeah. the game uh, late in that one, and then who knows what happens at that point. But that's the one, Ron. I, I like getting it right, and and there was no debate as to whether that was offside. It was clearly offside, but that the goal happened seventeen seconds right. after that. Like that one to me feels like me too. A, yeah. a, a no, quick I'm with fix you. And you had Dallas to... Aikens on, and he's an old school guy on terms of video review. I think uh, you know, I, I think they'll look at that. I really do because that's two of uh Trying to think now. Brandon Carlo, his was denied I mean, on the touch, on the hand pass. Pretty chintzy even, too. That's that's like, you know, when a runner's at second base and happens to let his foot off the bag for like a split second. Right. So silly, right? That, that is not the spirit of the, the rule. It's the letter of the law, but mm-hmm. but it's not the spirit of it. And uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they think about these offsides. It was, ironically, it was Colorado a couple of years ago. There was a blatant, Landis Cog was standing inside the blue line. Right. He had I left mean, the, the ice. The right? for all of this, yeah. right? So, exactly. Yeah. Well, the, the the real culprit in all that was a uh, Nashville game when uh, Duchesne was a, a mile oh, offside, yeah. and they missed that one. But we go back, uh, well, I go back, to 1980, and Leon Stickle, great, great official, but he missed one, and Philadelphia lost to the New York Islanders in their first of four Stanley Cups on a botched offside. So, mm. Yeah, and, and I know you have a soft spot for the officials, but, I mean, you talk about players that the Avalanche are missing. Andrew Cogliano breaks his yeah, neck on Yeah, that, that's play. a tough one, right? Um, and we've seen some 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 pretty severe mm, severe um, plays, perhaps not called correctly on the ice. And, and maybe we do this every year. And, we and, do. And yeah, maybe yeah. rehashing it. You don't think there's a, I, a decline in officiating? No, gosh, no. But I do think, that, you know, there should have been supplemental discipline on the uh, Eberle hit on Cogliano. I'm a, I, that, that was a... Yeah, that was just a missed call. You know, in the case of McCarr with his hit, I felt like uh, he was going at Jared McCann, not knowing where the puck was and thinking, right. gosh, if this lands in his feet, he's going to make a centering pass and I'm kind of vulnerable. I've got to take the body. So McCann, uh, McCarr, I exonerate McCarr. Uh, they gave him a game, great, because it was, uh, you know, boarding. But yeah. for somehow the uh, whole Eberly thing slipped by uh, or through the cracks, that's just a, a mistake, but we're allowed. <laughs> you know, uh, I'll make... 42 more before we get to uh, the middle of June. Yeah, maybe I'll make one one day. All right, uh, so we got game seven tonight uh, in in New Jersey. Devils-Rangers this is a Devils team that, yeah, shocked the world with their regular season. And and here they are now. And, and I, everything I've read about um, 
their their sentiment going into this game is, hey, if you told us at the beginning of the year we'd have a game seven on our home ice to, right. to knock off the Rangers in the first round of the postseason, they would take it. What, what are you expecting out of, out of this battle of, of New York, New Jersey? Well, I'll just offer my my personal thought is it's uh, New York's going to win because of Shesterkin. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, they have a lot of great numbers on their side, uh, but, you know, ignorance is bliss. Uh, I, I don't know what to think of Akira Schmid. I, I haven't watched that series closely enough. I mean, I see the, the results, and he's bubble burst a little bit in the sixth game, but by all accounts prior to that, he was absolutely phenomenal. He'll have to be. Mm-hmm. We know the Devils can't take penalties because uh, the Rangers will eat them alive. Adam Fox is Kevin Bx just adores Fox uh, for his ability to quarterback a power play, and then you've got that arsenal. They've picked up you know so many great players. Um, so my, my suspicion is on uh, two fronts. Uh, coaching Gerard Gallant and his uh, second-in-command, Mike Kelly, are uh, really good at... Uh, winning when it matters. Um, I, I give the edge to the New York Rangers, but I, I wouldn't be shocked because of the, the great young talent that New Jersey has. How, that's what, what my follow-up was going to be, is, is say the Rangers win this one, but Nico Hirscher, Jack Hughes, uh, Dawson Mercer, good, good Newfoundland kid. These guys are all very young. How I, I know there's randomness year over year, but but what is the likelihood that even a loss in a seven-game series against a team as good as this New York Rangers team is a real launching pad for that Devils score moving forward? Yeah, you have to make the playoffs. That's uh, I remember Kevin Pixano. I'm on his train tonight, uh, but uh, he was going golfing uh, earlier in the year with Mason McTavish, who was a hero for Canada and the World Juniors mm-hmm. and excellent Canadian hockey player. And, uh, you know, he's in Anaheim. Uh, and Kevin's talk to him was, you know, you can't let this group get used to losing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what the Devils have successfully done. They avoided having, a, you know, that imprinted on them that it's okay. You're a professional hockey player. You're making a good living. Eh, we lost. Uh, you can't have that. You got, you've got to be, you know, Scott Stevens, the guys who kind of gave New Jersey their original blueprint, Kirk Muller. Mm-hmm. They always said of Patrice Bergeron, John Weisbrod was the assistant GM in Vancouver prior to that in Boston. He said Bergeron would get physically ill if they went on a four-game losing streak. They would have to almost put him on uh, life support. He would <laughs> get so sick. Uh, that's how hard he took losing. And that's what you have to have. And Scott Stevens and Kirk Muller and some of the others gave it to New Jersey, Danico, McLean. Um, the, the, they're lucky they found that, that uh, they, they know it's important to win. Um, so it, it will be a launching pad, and who knows? Maybe we'll see them in round two. Yeah, maybe we will. I'm not, I'm not going to bet Carbonier. My, my dad would be very upset if I, if I picked against the Newfie <laughs> yeah, kid in this impressive. series. So. I love his, uh, you know, when you see your uh, sleeves, mm-hmm. he's an artist, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Dawson Mercer, he, he paints or uh, draws uh, or, or does some form of art um, to fill the time. That's mm-hmm. when he's on the road. In the hotel room, he's a great artist. Blackwood, is that the legendary uh, Newfoundland portraiture? Anyway, uh, artist. Uh, game seven tonight, 8 o'clock on, uh, on Sportsnet. Um, no, uh, so Dallas Akins is joining the broadcast, as you mentioned. Is there any word on whether we'll see Edge again? Because he's joining us in the next segment, yeah. and, and he's one for one, shows up on the broadcast, Kyle Bukowskis, so with a good. great interview before game six, and they win the game. Yeah, great interview and great for Edge to be so forthcoming and uh, just brought energy, right? After Metallica, like how do you follow Metallica? Yeah. We had an unbelievable opening with James Hetfield. Uh, so Edge, my, my wrestling story, uh, you guys, he won't understand this, but when I was young, I went to see wrestling and we had Calgary Stampede Wrestling. It was called Stampede Wrestling. Yeah, uh, the, Hart, the Hart family. Yes, the Hart family. 
So I loved a guy named Jeff Porks, was my favorite wrestler. He used to do a move called the airplane where he'd take a guy and flip <laughs> him around. But I went down to see the the big villain was the the stomper, Archie yeah. uh, the stomper. And I uh, went ringside with my little autograph book. I was like 11 years old, and I wanted to, I had Gordie Howe, Jean Beliveau, and Pat Stapleton. I had their autographs. And now I present my little autograph booklet to uh, the stomper, Archie Goulding. And uh, he takes my book and shreds it. He just ripped it in <laughs> two pieces like unbelievable and my dad was with me i'm only 11 yeah. my dad was just livid he wanted to see management and i said no dad it's great what would you expect from the stomper you know i loved it i, yeah. I lost three autographs oh, yeah. Yeah, so i'm kind of scarred for life by my experience firsthand at wrestling edge has kind of uh, healed me so yeah. uh the stomper yeah he ripped your your autograph book in half honestly if you had like the pieces of the autograph book that'd be worth more than an autograph yeah. ripped to, to shred by the... that story right <laughs> so and in fact my guy uh, jeff ports he came from the, the hart family discovered him in the uk and that's how they brought uh, davy boy over and uh, a few of the other wrestlers you know they, they started a pipeline mm-hmm. following the guy that i used to like i don't want to pre-break your heart but if the devils do make it on and say we get a leafs devils conference final Edge is also secretly a bit of a Devils fan, ah, so no, just do don't that. don't give him your your little book. No, because <laughs> he might tear I'll that up Kyle. on you. More yeah. important, I'll let <laughs> Kyle Vikoskis know he's the one on site. Yeah, so uh, I'll give him the heads up that uh, you can't trust the wrestlers. <laughs> uh, Ron, we'll be watching tonight. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, cheers, Ben. Thanks, Blake. Uh, Ron McLean, when we come back, the aforementioned Edge joins us as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet five ninety, the fan, and we are live on Sportsnet three sixty. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and Sportsnet 360. It's Ben Ennis, it's Blake Murphy, and whatever you did on Saturday, whatever clothes you wore... Wherever you watch the game, you you have to do it again, I guess, tomorrow, which also means that uh, our next guest has to appear on Hockey Night in Canada before puck drop. It is Adam Copeland. Uh, you know him as WWE superstar Edge. Adam, thanks for doing this. Yeah, so are, are we going to see you again on Sportsnet before the postseason's done? So here's the deal. Uh, so th- I've been talking to the Leafs. I got tickets, but I can't go because I promised my daughters I'd do career day. So <laughs> I got to do career day because who else is going to be a pro wrestler at career day? So, um, yeah, I'd already made that commitment like three weeks ago. And I don't think anybody really guessed that we'd be at home first. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I'm, I plan on making it up next week. All right. Well, first, uh, if you need somewhere to send those tickets, you you know where to send them. Um, but but also, Edge. I mean, we were I, I like you said, we were all kind of thinking it was going to be Boston. I know that you were at a bunch of the Tampa games because you are Florida based. A little part of you pretty excited that it's another round that's maybe doable for you travel wise. Well, it, I'm actually North Carolina based now. Oh. Um, so if we get the Canes, then uh, it's still a four-hour drive for the Canes games. But um, I at least could drive it instead of having to take a flight because I flew down for oh, those damn. Tampa games, and um, and because uh, Christian lives down there, mm. so we just crashed at his place. He lives <laughs> a five-minute walk to the arena. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, 
it, it was amazing to see the Toronto Maple Leafs win a, an elimination game for the first time in 10 tries. Um, you were in the building. You you seemed not nervous when you were standing next to Kyle Bukowski. You seemed excited. Uh, I wonder how that emotion changed as the game unfolded. Of course, the Leafs take the lead, but then Stamp goes scores to tie it up, and the Lightning kind of control the run of play there. What what were your thoughts going into overtime? What, what did the uh, what did the building feel like? I mean, honestly, the building felt nervous. I think Tampa felt nervous. The Tampa fan base felt nervous because they'd just seen this happen. Um, I actually felt good going into overtime. I figured, okay, this is what they've been doing, and uh, and also kind of playing on their heels a little bit throughout the game. That was throughout the entire series. I mean, you could argue that that Tampa took it to them throughout the majority of the games, and Toronto hung in. And I kind of love that because it's completely different than the the dynamic that they've had these last few years where it's just freewheeling and high-paced and high-flying. This is a different team. And I think those pickups at the deadline, you know, from O'Reilly to McCabe to Lafferty to Shen especially – Watching him live and watching what he does and how he shuts plays down, um, let alone just the, the the feel that I think the other team feels when he's out there, huge differences. It, it really is a different team, but you still have all of that firepower and all of that skill. So it feels more well-rounded now, and because of that, they play differently. And and maybe that makes you know the Toronto fan base a little more nervous because it's not the team that they've watched these last, you know, five, six years. It is a different team now. And I, I think it's a team that's built for the playoffs more so than in the past. You mentioned Shen. I, I know you're a big Jake Muzzin guy, and his absence has obviously yeah. been felt throughout the year. Um, I was a bit wrong on the Shen thing. I, I thought, it, you know, cool, add add an extra defenseman for the, the stretch run, but I didn't see him playing this big a role. Um, how much do you think he was just able to slot into what we always thought? Like, like on paper, that's supposed to be the Muzzin role, right? And we saw Muzzin... Sure as excited as anyone after the game, the big beard and, and picking Matthews up while he's still in his skates. Um, how much, uh, how much t- in your eyes is Shen filling what Muzzin was supposed to be for this group? Well, yeah, first of all, man, I, I, I just love Jake Muzzin. I love the way <laughs> he plays. I always felt better when he was on the ice. You know that I always, I always go on about Jake Muzzin. I, I, you know, I hope he gets better. Um, I feel like it's kind of been done by committee. I feel like McCabe has really stepped up and, and showed what he can do, especially for a guy who never played a playoff game. He's been playing like a beast. He's been laying some nasty checks. And um, I, But I, Luke Shen, man, I, I'm telling you, and as I was watching the game, he stood between the two benches, and he was the one that was taking it all and giving it back. I was like, that's why you get a guy like that. That's exactly why you get a guy like that. And and then O'Reilly and just what I I feel like he brings and what he must bring to the locker room. You know, there's a guy who's been there, not only that, but one that can smite and knows exactly what you need to do. It's, I'm really excited about this team. And it's, it's honestly a shame that those two teams faced in the first round. I think everybody understands that. That's easily the conference final, uh, you know, throw Boston in that mix too. I mean, the East is a murderer's row this year. So, I mean, it's, just the way it worked out but i really feel like that was a massive massive hurdle that toronto has now dealt with and i'm glad it didn't go seven i'm glad they were able to do it in six going to their barn win three games in in that arena with a team i think they had the best home record if not behind boston anyway 
And um, that's saying something. That, that's huge because that, that Tampa crowd, when they get into a game, they're into it, and they can sway, you know, any game. And uh, the, the Leafs took them out of it. Well, in terms of happy, it's not a game seven. Uh, you and us both, because yeah. re- recapping the, the W and looking ahead to Florida is a lot better than teeing up a game seven tonight. Um, Edge, so we, we've we talked a lot, and I'm sure you have as well, about, okay, well, the, the ghosts are gone or, or the, the monkey on their back about uh, not being able to get out of the first round is gone. And that's going to maybe free this team up a, a little bit, at least the guys who have been here through all of this. As a fan, how much does that let you breathe and just enjoy the rest of this playoff run? Because I don't know about you, but for me, it was like, okay, when's the other shoe going to drop? Or, oh, no, what what could possibly go wrong now after the last six years and the last 19 years, really? How much does this free you up as a Leafs fan? I got to tell you, I've never felt that way. Even with disappointments throughout the years, I always, I said on a hockey night in Canada, I'm the forever Leafs optimist because... Yeah, I'm not saying I'm a hockey player. I'm not saying I played at that level or anything, but I've done something at a very high level, and I understand the mentality and kind of what goes into something like that. So I I just feel like you don't get bounces sometimes or teams just outplay you. It's not um, those guys, man. You know, I, I know some of them, and they want to win so bad, so bad. And I think there's the pressure that comes with that, especially, I mean, you're in the epicenter of hockey, right? Now, Montreal might argue, but in terms of pressure, man, the, the pressure those guys are under. And I think now they're men. And that makes a huge difference. That's not in any way to, to you know, put them down because they were young before, but dealing with that pressure, the pressure that Toronto brings and the media brings, and also how quick the media is to jump all over them as opposed to being supportive. Um, that that can get to a young player, man. That can get to a young anybody. So I feel like now they've grown into their skates, and, that, and now they're, they're truly, it's a team of men. Um, you know, I love seeing Morgan Riley out there, 10 years with the team, two black guys, probably a broken nose, just leading the charge. And all year, everybody was dumping on him. And personally, I think he wasn't recovered from that hit against the Islanders, mm. that collision. I think he was playing hurt or at least dinged up the majority of that time. And, um, you know, now everybody's on the Morgan Riley bandwagon and they should be, they should have been right from the get go Mm -hmm. because that guy bleeds blue Mm -hmm. and wants to win. So I'm just so happy for that team, man. And, you know, it might free them up a little bit, but then you look at Florida, they're going to be really free because they are playing on house money. Oh yeah. They're not supposed to be here, you know, and, you just defeated historically, at least numbers wise, the best team ever. Yeah, but you were you were better than them. At home. Yeah, they they were. Mm-hmm. They absolutely were. They outplayed them. It's just all there is to it. So they're going to be coming in riding high, mm-hmm. and um, I, so there's a lot less pressure on them because hey, Toronto, there's always going to be pressure. But hopefully, maybe the the traps won't be so tight and the shoulders so you know. Um, you know, up, up tight at the beginning of the, the series. Because you could see that. You could, truly could, especially in that first game. Oh, yeah. Or even in the first period of games where it was just, they had to get through that. I always kept saying, ah, when it gets to the second period, that's where you'll see what is really going to happen. And, um, but uh, yeah, throughout these years, I, I don't know. I've been around for the Ballard years, right? So, uh-huh. I mean, my first, my first like vivid memories as a kid we're watching Landon McDonald scoring game seven against the Islanders on Billy Smith. So 
a lot of lean years. So, man, I, I'm getting to watch amazing hockey. That's what I'm happiest about. And the Leafs are just fun to watch. Yeah, they are. Um, and they get uh, to play these first two games at home. Like you said, nobody anticipated that. And, I, you know, as you're going through your leaf, uh, leaf optimism and the fact that you are a professional athlete and maybe bring a different mentality to this thing, maybe you are different than just about every other Leaf. And, again, the, the Panthers outplayed the Bruins, so it's it, and, and it's irrelevant to the fact that you're actually playing in the second round. But I, it sounds to me, if I was going to guess what, what Edge would have preferred, you would have wanted the Bruins, right? Am I, am I wrong? Uh, I mean, in terms of just, you know, punching every monkey in the face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, not get it off the back, but seriously, just boot it in the face. That'd it, be cool. It, it really would. And, and such a marquee matchup. That being said, if you're looking at the regular season, I like the stats against the Panthers. Um, I, I do feel like this is a team catching fire at the exact right time. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if I'm being truly honest, I, I'd prefer it to be the Panthers. I really would. Um, but it would have been awful fun to see them finally, you know, just put the Bruins in the dirt. <laughs> uh, former King of the Ring champion we're talking to. We know something about you can only, you can only beat the guys ahead of that, that show up in front of you in the tournament. Um, in, so Edge, you mentioned earlier that you, you went down to Tampa. You got to watch that game with Christian, your your longtime friend, former tag team partner. I also saw that you you got to take in that game uh, with the son of our late friend, John Huber, who who was a huge uh, Leafs fan as well. You getting to share a little bit of that with Christian and then also with, with Brody Jr., what did that mean to you uh, the other night? It was amazing. It was a perfect storm, really. And 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 honestly, I'm going to say oh, that's when I knew, okay, we're, we're going to be fine here. I don't know. Just the, the juju, the vibes were there. So I was running down to meet Kyle for that interview because I I'd just gotten into our box with my daughter. It's her first lease game. It's all of these things, right? So I'm flying down to the Hockey Night in Canada set. I'm sweating. I'm doing all this. And then I see Brody, and I was like, he goes, Edge, Adam, how are you? I was like, I'll be right back. I got to go, but I'll be right back. So I ran, did the interview, came, got him. His mom and the nail came up to the box. So we just had a blast up there. It was so much fun to look over, see all the kids dancing in between, you know, face-offs and, and just having the time of their lives. And just to see the look on his face because, you know, the Leafs are obviously huge in that household. And, and to understand how much John loved the Leafs and, and to see Brody Jr.'s face and just, ah, it was so much fun, man. It was, it was just, it was a blast. It, I'll take that memory with me forever. Uh, being able to share that. Cause you know, when I was a kid, we couldn't afford Leafs tickets. I never went to a Leafs game, but the fact that I could take my six year old daughter who enjoys hockey with me, oh man, it, that that's, that's one of those moments as a dad that I'll, I will absolutely never forget. And it's supplied, you know, by the same memories that I had as a kid, like I said, Lena McDonald's going on Billy Smith. I still remember it sitting with my grandpa, my uncles in the basement on Zina street in Orangeville, you know, and to be able to do that with my, my little daughter, it's just spectacular. And then Jay's daughter was there and then Brody's. There. I mean, it's, it was just great. So that's honestly, I was like, ah, we're going to be fine. We got this. <laughs> that, that's amazing, man. I'm very glad you all got to do that together. Uh, I am curious though, what it's going to, I know you're missing game one live, at least for career day. Now you've told me in the past that 
you are the type to, if you guys have a Monday Night Raw or a SmackDown or something like that, you avoid the spoilers and you try to get home and watch it. Well, Saturday, you guys have WWE Backlash on the WWE Network uh, and on Sportsnet now. It's taking place in Puerto Rico. I don't believe you have a match booked as of right now. Are you going to be able to juggle Game 3? We we think Game 3 is going to be on Saturday. Don't believe that's confirmed yet. Are you going to be able to juggle Backlash and Game 3 effectively? I will be sitting in my Leafs room, uh, <laughs> staring at my Mike Palmatier and Bunny Larock masks, watching the hockey game. Perfect. Glad yeah, you don't... I don't know if I should admit that, but it's always going to be Leafs over WWE for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and hey, you're not on the card, right? It's not like you're you're faking a hammy pull or something yeah. like that. Um, we do exactly. we do have to mention as well um, on Sports at 360 tonight, part two of the WWE draft. In part one, you were. No surprise here, a very high draft pick in this year's WWE Draft Edge. Um, I know sometimes the lines are blurred between Raw and SmackDown and what does the draft even mean, but you're a guy who back in the early 2000s when that line was really firmly drawn between the two brands, you were part of that SmackDown 6. Um, What does it mean to you to be drafted back to SmackDown and kind of be a part of that on Friday nights on Sportsnet 360 moving forward? I mean, it would have been nice if they told me, considering I, you know, coach my girls' baseball and um, uh, basketball teams on Thursday and Friday nights. Oh, no. Um, so a little annoyed, if I'm being honest. Damn. Oh, sorry, I thought I was teeing up this uh, this good promotion slash nope. let you get the smack down. My bad, man. That's uh, Look, can I spin it for you one positive way, though? Sure. They're always going to try to get the Leafs on Saturday night as much as possible, especially in the playoffs here. Yeah. So the Friday night thing, you're probably not as high risk to miss a Leaf game as you would be on Mondays. Does that make it any better Fair at enough. all? I like what you did there. I like what you did there. <laughs> Best I can do, man. <laughs> Spotted for you, man. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Hey. Uh, best of luck at career day. That can be stressful, man. So uh, make sure you have all your ducks in a row. I got it all. I got all figured out. No other parents are going to have championship belts to show kids. So <laughs> there you go. All right, that. that's pretty good. That's that's the hammer drop. Uh, Adam, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See ya. Uh, there's Edge, Adam Copeland. Uh, he was uh, part of the pregame festivities on uh, Sportsnet before Game Six. Maple Leafs went on to win two to one in overtime. Don't want to uh, ruin your. One and O stat from earlier on that. He was also part of uh, Hockey Night in Canada ahead of Game One in the playoffs last year. Leafs also won. Well, there you go. So he's two and O. Okay, uh, in elimination games, I was just referencing. But yeah, yeah no, the less than two and O all time. It, anytime he Get shows him on up, there every single time <laughs> until they lose. It right? is a dangerous game, though. You don't want to. You don't want to overplay your card here. You want to pull it out no. when you need it. Well, this is the thing, right? We went through it last series. Hal Gill with the, you know, winning is sacred. You don't want to change the lineup mm-hmm. after a win. But, yeah, at some point, Michael Bunting's got to come back in the lineup and, and you got to change up the deep pairing. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah, you, you be a little a little more cautious with uh, just how often we use the edge card, at least on TV. If he wants to come on this show and break down every single game, I, I that's probably fine. game for that, yeah. Uh, yeah, because he's obviously like a true Leafs fan. He's not like a celebrity that's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of a sports team that I've watched a couple of times throughout the course of the year. Like, he is dyed-in-the-wool Leaf fan. Uh, Leafs and Panthers tomorrow. Blue Jays, though, tonight... Starting a four-game series on Sportsnet One. It is Jose Barrios against Corey Kluber, and we do have a lineup for you as well. I know George Springer has a viral infection, yeah. so he was pulled from the lineup late scratch, so everybody gets bumped up a little bit. Bobachette leading off. Vlad, a DH day for him, so Brandon Belt back in the lineup. Whit Merrifield, though, again 
hitting uh, fifth against the righty Dalton Varsho back in there, hitting fourth despite his his struggles. It was supposed to be fifth for Varsho in, in the defense of John Schneider. Everyone yeah. had to move up a slot with Biggio <laughs> slid into the eight hole. <laughs> yeah, so Dalton Varsho has the walk-off hit in the middle game mm-hmm. uh, after getting stymied by the rookie who was put on the IL like immediately at, thereafter. You could say his name. Easton McGee. Yeah, Easton McGee. Sorry. Household name. Slipped my mind a little bit. Although he's got a good name, Easton McGee. Easton McGee. Also, just like the weirdness of all of that, where then Chris Flexen comes out of the bullpen on Sunday. Like, what what is going on in Seattle? Anyway, I will say, so I was at that game Saturday. Yeah. And the appreciating the speed of the game, but also being a little annoyed at, at them getting no hit by Easton McGee. And then it starts going to extras, and I'm just like clock watching the whole time. Ten inning game was under two and a half hours. Yeah, still made the Leaf game with with friends insane. up in the north part of the city, no problem. Yeah, that's that's messed up, it. man. Yeah, no, it's 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 truly truly amazing. Yeah, you got to get your beer drinking uh, done early though if you are going to the game. Because- well, I was there as media for this one. So, yeah, you had to do it covertly, but you still drank some beer. Nah. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> Blue Jays. my coffee in, yeah. Uh, so, Blue Jays, Red Sox. Um, Blue Jays absolutely destroyed the Red Sox uh, a season ago. Only lost mm-hmm. three times in the 19 games they played against them. Corey Kluber, final, like, man, he has remade himself. He's not the Klubot anymore, but it, it does feel like finally well, Father Time is coming for old Corey Kluber. Well, you want to hear the, the other Kluber thing is just, like, not only last year, but Jays historically have clobbered him. Yeah. So he has faced the Jays who will be active today for 122 plate appearances in his career. And they have a batting average of 364 nice. and uh, a, a weighted on base average. So that's, you know, the stat that feeds into WRC plus of whatever uh, of 470, mm-hmm. which is real, real, real good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Sox are not real, real good pitching. Uh, they're 26, uh, 26th in Major League Baseball just overall in ERA at mm-hmm. almost 5.499. Uh, uh, now, that being said, Rafael Devers is real good. and He's got yeah. 10 home runs this season, and we know Jose Barrios has had issues with left-handed uh, hitters. Seven of them in the lineup today for Boston. Yeah, so the, the big indicator will be fastball and how much he uses it because our, our buddy Chris Black sending out an, an email about how how sparingly he has used the fastball against lefties, that it's it's really been one of the, the biggest outlier months as far as the lack of, of four-seamer use against left-handed hitters and it's been effective yeah I, I think the better way to frame that more than um i thought i did limit, a great job well i just i think the spirit of it is more about using the change with more conviction and yeah. using that more confidently i think to, to but to me it's like the fastball got annihilated a season ago and and the, yeah, yeah just not throwing the pitch that got annihilated so yeah. I, I do view and, it from and, that lens yeah and i would like to see it very much uh if when he does throw that uh to throw it on the inner third with with some level of conviction because it got pretty obvious there for a while that if you sat outside heat as a lefty you and, and i say heat jose brios was 94 mm-hmm. you can if you know what's coming and know where it's coming you you can jump on top of that now there was some you know bad luck and, and things like that in in some of his stats and ben clemens of Fangraphs had a really great piece on jose brios um last late last week that that helps tee up this start but yeah there there was some i don't know i, I it would be nice to see jose brios not overthink and over tinker with this one and just go with what's been working the last couple starts if boston figures it out a little bit so be it but don't change what's been working for you just because there's seven lefties in the lineup instead of instead of two or three one other note on this game is uh 
Maybe a nice one to see the Blue Jays try to run a little bit. The Red Sox have given off 25 stolen bases. Oh, yeah, you keep dunking on uh, Reese McGuire. Is he in the lineup? Uh, he is in the lineup. He's gotten a little better. <laughs> he is So StatCast has these new metrics that try to assign credit or blame yeah. to, like, split the credit or blame between the catcher and the pitcher. And Mike Petriello was like, Blake, it's not Reese McGuire's fault. There are all these things. Yeah. And then... As it turns out, Reese McGuire is at the bottom of the league still, <laughs> oh, no. but just just not nearly as extreme oh. as it seems when you're like, oh, he's given up however many stolen bases. Shout out to Alejandro Kirk, who's shown off the the arm a couple of times recently. Uh, and yeah, yeah, it's gotten a little better after the the first couple times this Looks season. It didn't very didn't look capable. Great. I uh, would but, just I would I, I want to see a little bit more running, especially on a day like this where the lineup doesn't look uh, quite as intimidating with Springer out and a couple guys hitting under two hundred in yeah. there. Yeah, that being said, you don't want to run yourself out of innings against a team that has no good pitchers. Um, and by the way, did I mention this already? But this is the start of 14 straight series against teams with winning records. 14 straight series. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that does include the Red Sox and also the Pirates and who knows. And you yeah. know what? It also includes the Marlins. Uh, so, so are all three of those teams going to have no. winning records by the end of the year? But that would take you to June 22nd mm-hmm. against Nothing but teams with winning records at this point. So uh, scheduling is not independent events. Obviously, you're in the AL East and you can't play the same team over and over again, etc. But using some rough, uh, using some rough qualifiers. Uh, I crunched the numbers for Chris Black when he asked earlier. It's about a one in eight hundred chance of drawing that many <laughs> winning teams in a row uh, for fourteen series. All right. Speaking of odds, it is time now for last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Game seven tonight. In East Rutherford, as the Devils are minus 113 favorites against the Rangers, um, we got the Blue Jays at Fenway Park playing the Red Sox, as we mentioned, on Sportsnet 1, and the Blue Jays with Jose Barrios on the mound are favorites. They are minus 157, and uh, a couple of round two games in the NBA postseason. Game one, Sixers and Celtics, no Joel Embiid. Celtics are 11-point favorites at home. And Denver trying to take a two-games-to-none series lead on the Suns. They are four-point favorites at home in Game 2. Jamal Murray. Last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. I always forget the tagline before I jump in. Jamal Murray so good in these playoffs so far that uh, Nikola Jokic just being like, yeah, we all follow Jamal's lead. It flows the way Jamal. That's the MVP being or the two-time defending MVP. Giving it to Jamal Murray. 519. All right. Enjoy the sports. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.